This is Kansas State's Daniel Green, and you're listening to the Powercat Pregame Podcast on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. Kansas State looks to get back on the winning track this weekend as the Wildcats travel to Norman, Oklahoma to face the sixth-ranked OU Sooners at 7 p.m. Saturday night at Memorial Stadium. The game is going to be broadcast on Fox. That's right, Fox Network. And let's not forget that this series has been hyper-competitive over the last three seasons. In the last three matchups, the Wildcats are 2-1, and one, and the average margin of victory in those three games has been 5.3 points. Welcome to the PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. I am Go PowerCat publisher Tim Fitzgerald. And over the next hour plus, we're going to take you through everything you need to know to get you ready for Saturday night's big game the Big 12 opener for the Wildcats down in Norman, Oklahoma. And, of course, Oklahoma is now coached by former Wildcat assistant coach and player Brent Venables. It'll be great to see Brent once again, but he is on the other sideline coaching for what he calls his dream job. And it is not K-State, so there might be some bitter feelings from the K-State nation about that. But in terms of how it impacts this game for the K-State sideline, virtually no impact because no one associated with the program really has much familiarity with Brent Fenables as a Wildcat. He's been gone since 1999 and really other than K-State trying to get him to come back a couple times, hasn't really flirted with coming back at all. Now he is in Norman, and boy, does he have the Sooners absolutely rolling at 3-0 and on the season, and the Sooners are coming off an impressive 49-14 to flattening of the Nebraska Cornhuskers up in Lincoln last Saturday. But honestly, I don't know how much you can gain from that. They have wins over UTEP, Kent State, and Nebraska. So despite Kansas State losing last weekend to Tulane 17-10 at Bill Snyder Family Stadium in a game that was confusing and frustrating for everyone in purple, K-State will clearly be the best opponent Oklahoma has lined up with so far this season. We've got a lot to cover. We'll be bringing in our Ryan Wallace shortly to talk about this game. And then after the break, we will have our player interview with K-State offensive lineman Cooper Beebe. We'll have Brian Hanley, our football analyst, join us, and then we'll hear briefly from Chris Kleiman before we go over the odds and all the betting lines in this week's Big 12 play with our own Ryan Gilbert. And of course, as I mentioned, we're sponsored by Robbins Motor Company as we kick this preview into high gear. K-State fans, visit the Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat location on Anderson Avenue in Manhattan for an exciting test drive. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the Powercat pregame podcast. And now we bring in our own Ryan Wallace to talk about the Cats at the Sooners Saturday night down in Norman. And boy, Wally, I, I didn't feel great about this matchup heading into the season. Yeah, optimistically, I was thinking, you know, maybe K-State can be 3-0 and and go down there and steal one in Brent Venable's first game as a you know, Big 12 head coach in terms of playing a Big 12 game. But, boy, the, the first part of the season hasn't played out anyway like I thought it would. I thought Oklahoma would have some struggles. Nope. They've been as efficient as you've seen Oklahoma early in the season in many years. And I thought K-State would roll to 3-0. and Nope. They got upset by Tulane. Just give me your gut feelings about where these teams sit as we head into this game. So with Oklahoma, I, I think um, I think the the misconception with the Sooners right now is that they might not be as good uh, as they would appear on paper. And I think it's because 
Um, there's a lot of folks out there that are looking at, well, Brent Venables hasn't really been tested because it's been a soft non-con schedule. You know, they, they rolled up UTEP, didn't have to do hardly anything against Kent State through a half before they decided to, you know, turn it on. And then obviously Nebraska getting them in week three that I think some folks thought, you know, might be, you know, a good kind of measuring stick for Oklahoma and thought, you know, Nebraska would be two and oh, and it ends up that, you know, they get a Nebraska team that's just completely off the rails and roll through them. And then with Kansas state, like you said, you know, we thought that Tulane would be a, a good test. Um, none of us thought that it would be a loss. Um, and none of us thought that it would be the nature of the loss that it was. So here you have two teams kind of meeting head to head. And I know, you know, the eternal optimists out there see this as, you know, a good bounce back opportunity for K-State and maybe kind of a trap game for OU. But, you know, Fitz, I've, I've heard you talk about it already this week on, on, you know, our podcast and everything, but keep in mind who the, the head coach of Oklahoma is. I don't, I don't think he's going to allow, uh, you know, his Sooners to overlook Kansas State and not just because it's his alma mater, but, you know, he's cut from the same cloth as Bill Snyder. It's, it is a one week or week by week approach. So yeah, I, I don't have a good feeling about this one fits. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I don't either. And you know, I don't mean to lump it all on one player, but if they want to be more effective throughout this season, setting aside winning at Oklahoma, which is always a challenge that somehow K-State has made look easy in the past, but I don't think it is or will be on this Saturday. They got to get better play out of the quarterback position. And that's not to blame Adrian Martinez for all the issues. He's had line issues. He's had receiver issues, dropping some passes, but he just hasn't been sharp and he hasn't been effective and he's been hesitant in everything he's done so far. And I think we're seeing from Chris Kleiman, the way he's answering my questions now at press conferences, he gets it. He he sees what's going on, and uh, he won't say it, but I don't think he's very happy about the situation. No, I, I think, you know, Chris Kleiman is similar to Bill Snyder in the sense that, you know, he's he's very uh, mindful about his words, especially, you know, in, in pregame stuff. And the way that he's kind of been – fairly open about, you know, his thoughts on the offense and the quarterback play, I think tells you where he's at right now that, that, you know, we're kind of at a nearing a crossroads if we're not staring them in the face come Saturday night with Adrian Martinez. So, uh, and, and Fitz, we'll get into Oklahoma a little bit more, but, you know, knowing the type of offense that the Sooners are going to put out there, you know, it's going to test K-State's defense. And sometimes, you know, the greatest help for, for a defense that might struggle for the first time this year is, is a good offense. And so that, that puts even more pressure on Adrian Martinez and Norman this weekend. And, you know, I look back, I thought, well, maybe Adrian can take something from that game that he had in Norman a year ago um, when he was still a corn Husker, because, you know, he had over 289 passing yards. The, the corn Huskers kind of hung around in that game. And then I, I realized probably not. There's not a lot you can take from that because, A, uh, Adrian Martinez is with a new team. There's a completely new staff in Norman. And there's only three players that started on OU's defense last year that look like they're going to start again or that started last week um, in Lincoln for the Sooners. So I don't know how much you can take from that. It, this is 
This is just an enormous stage for Kansas State, but particularly Adrian Martinez, because uh, I think beating OU is is tough in and of itself. Although K State has gone four and six against the Sooners since 2012, you know they're five and 14. I think since the turn of the millennium, and then their last Big 12 road opening win. Um, if you take out the win in Norman in 2020, because again, there were no fans in the stadium, 2014 at Iowa state fits, this team does not do well, uh, starting, you know, big 12 playoff on the road. So I, I don't know. They, they gotta have something from Adrian. Um, I, I I'd love to sit here and say, I told you so, but I, I've heard, you know, people say that, but I, I was nervous about Adrian Martinez, right? Fitz. I thought it was a dice roll. But I thought it would be because he would be taking too many risks for Colin Klein. Yeah. And then here we are heading into week four, and we're begging him to throw up a, a 50-50 ball. Yeah, I'm tired of hearing from Nebraska fans saying, we told you so. And I'm like, no, this is not the guy you told us about. This isn't anywhere near the guy you told us about. We'd, we'd love to have the gunslinger who makes big plays and turns the ball over. Kansas State's getting none of that. He's so hesitant to pull the trigger. He seems so out of sync with everything going on around him, including his protection, how to manage a pocket, when to cut the ball loose. He's got guys running free through the secondary, and he looks at him and hesitates and doesn't throw it i'm i'm baffled by what we're seeing and i'm afraid um you know someone put on the message boards and i think it's a good analogy he's got the yips just like a golfer he he doesn't trust himself you know once in a while a catcher all of a sudden can't throw it to second Uh, that's what i feel like adrian's going through he's got into his own head so deeply I'm sorry. I don't know if they're going to get him out of there. And I personally, I think we're going to see Will Howard at some point on Saturday. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking the same thing about Adrian Martinez is I just don't think this is an easy fix. I don't think it's something that you can correct in one week, even if he were to have, whether it's Oklahoma, whether it's Texas tech, and he finally comes out of his shell for a week, all it takes is kind of one more of those kind of troublesome outings for you to get back in your own head. And you mentioned a golfer. I, I almost liken it to um, a, a hitter that's in a slump. You start wondering, are my feet wrong? Or do I need to scoot up to the plate? To the plate? Do I need to scoot back forwards? Uh, is it my hand placement? You, you, I don't know how as a quarterback, you can get him out of this, especially overnight. Um, and so I, that, that makes me very nervous for the long term of this season is, you know, not only do they need to snap Adrian out of it quickly, but they need him to stay out of this for the long term. Um, I think going to Will Howard in certain scenarios, which is what you're alluding to, yep. just bringing him on the field here and there, not not a quarterback carousel, might honestly give Adrian, you know, a, a, a mental breather as much as a physical one and maybe give a little bit of life to this offense. Yeah, you're in fourth and one. Put Will Howard in. If you're scared to sneak it up the middle with Adrian Martinez because of his injury history, then put Will Howard in. He's a big, strong kid. Push him across the line like they used to do with Colin Klein. I, uh, they need to find a way uh, to be more effective at quarterback, and if it's shuffling guys, that's fine. Let's be honest. What are we afraid? We're going to break Adrian Martinez's rhythm? He hasn't had a rhythm for three games. <laughs> so I I think he's got tremendous potential. But I'll say this. One, one comment from a Nebraska fan – struck a chord with me, really hit home. They said he was never the same definitive runner as he was 
his freshman year, which the stats show, after he injured his knee. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, uh, he hasn't recovered from a knee injury, which I would suspect is more mental. I mean, I'm sure his knee's just as healthy as it was. He's had his jaw broken, which would make you not trust the pocket or being in the, you know, being around players that can hit you. And now he's injured his shoulder, which seems to point to he doesn't trust his shoulder to throw the ball, even though all indications are he throws it the same as he did before. I, I just think he's so deep into his head about injuries and turnovers, and he's forgot how to play quarterback. And that, that might sound harsh, but that's just my buck 55 assessment of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with that. You can see it even in the Tulane game. I mean, going back and watching highlights of him at Nebraska, early Nebraska, like you said, yeah, uh, he was he was an aggressive runner, a yeah. slasher. I mean, he wasn't Daniel Sams necessarily, but I mean, he ran with a purpose. And even last Saturday in moments where it looked like he might be able to get to the sticks, he was still kind of monitoring like left to right. And, you know, instead of just going for for the yardage, he's he's very mindful of who's around him and who's coming quickly. And um, how quickly do I need to get hit the ground as opposed to getting an extra yard? Yeah, it that that was probably what bothered me the worst on Saturday was his ignoring where the sticks were he would step out of bounds a yard short and you know uh, one of the expectations k-state fans have of their athletes is you put it all out there i mean the school is known for being the overachievers with doing more with less and you don't step out of bounds before the first down you put your shoulder down and run over someone like skylar thompson did on a consistent basis so i think that's that's added to the the issue here but let's not be fooled here he's not the only problem the offensive line the tight ends and fullbacks, he didn't have the kind of blocking he needed, and the running game didn't have the kind of blocking it needed to function properly against Tulane. They got beat up front, Wally, and honestly, I knew Tulane would be good, but I never thought they'd just simply outmatch K-State along the line of scrimmage, but that happened, and if that happens with Tulane, you're going to get your butt kicked by Oklahoma's front. Well, and here's the the issue I think facing the Wildcats this week in Norman that that makes this challenge even more of a test is that for those that haven't been following the Sooners closely this year, they came out in their first two non-conference games against UTEP and Kent State and played kind of a base uh, four-man front. It was like a 4-3 or a 4-2-5 in passing situations. Then they go up to Lincoln last week, and they come out in an odd man look. They come out in what K-State runs, that 3-3-5, and Nebraska looked like they had no clue what to do. And so now you have a K-State offense that's already struggling. You're already trying to build Adrian Martinez's confidence, and now you're facing a Brent Venables defense that has already shown you two different formations that they're going to run out of. Uh, that one, two games that they played heavy in zone, one game they played heavy in man, uh, in Lincoln, they were showing all sorts of crazy blitzes and pre-snap shifts, um, to open up guys, to get a lane to the quarterback. Uh, that is incredibly worrisome in and of itself coming off a game where you were already just struggling to block man for man. Now you're trying to assess in pre-snap where we're supposed to go and where pressure could be coming from. Um, it, it's a lot for K-State's offense. And I know the thought is Oklahoma, if there's one area where they're struggling right now on defense, it's in run support. But 
you know, the way that K-State blocked again last week, you know, you're looking for DJ Giddens and Deuce Vaughn to basically create eight yards out of two yards. Um, and again, I think with the level of athlete, the tenacity that this defense plays with um, under their new coach, Brent Venables, um, that's a that's a heavy, heavy ask. This defense is playing at a high level. They will mix and match quite a bit. They'll confuse you. What I find interesting is for all the talk of the transfer portal, most of the guys that are topping the charts from Oklahoma are either guys that have returned or even even a young man from Western Kansas who's getting a lot of playing time. But we got to start with Reggie Grimes, who has four sacks already. This is a really disruptive Oklahoma defense. And like you said, Brent Fenables is a really creative defensive coach, and they're coming at you from different angles now, a variety of blitzes. Um, I'm a little surprised he showed the the three-man front against Nebraska. He didn't really need it. But um, then again, when would he need it? Um, you know, I, I think they he feels like they've got better talent than K-State, and they can win that game and maybe on to Texas. I'm not sure. But this is going to be really an issue for Kansas State's offensive line. These linemen and linebackers just come at you from all different angles. Yeah, and I like again, you know, looking at the Sooners, uh, a lot of familiar faces uh, in the defensive backfield in the secondary. Which, you know, if you're K State, you you might look at that as a positive, and I do in a in a sense because that's kind of been the area it seemed like during Lincoln Riley's tenure that struggled the most that you could really catch Oklahoma was in passing situations because for one reason or another, you know, their corners really struggled. Well, now this year, they're running a lot of the same guys out there. Obviously, they're more experienced, so they're playing better. Um, but you, you can't really get to them and, and challenge them because, like you said, you've got Reggie Grimes that's in your face. You've got Jaron Canick coming on a blitz and Danny Stutzman. Um, they're just unleashing havoc in the front seven. And then you've got a massive defensive line. Um, you know, you go from Tulane last week that was a little, I would say, undersized but very active to now an, an equally athletic but much bigger and stronger uh, defensive front with guys like Jalen Redman, the Tulane transfer, uh, Jeffrey Jordan or Johnson. Um, those guys are, you know, looking at 6'4", 300 plus. So, uh, you know, guys like Hayden Gillum are going to really be put to the test on the inside. Um, and that's where, again, K-State's bread and butter with, with uh, running has been in the past is that, you know, power run, A and B gap runs. Um, we'll see, you know, if Cooper Beebe and, and those guys can really hold their own on the inside. This is a big, big ask for the K-State offensive line that's coming off. Arguably, it's worth showing since maybe Arkansas State. And that doesn't get into the the weapons that they put across the field on the offensive side of the ball. But before we get to those guys, Dylan Gabriel is a rock solid quarterback. He was at UCF. He's now at, at Oklahoma. He made some good plays, a great running play for, I think 75 yards for a touchdown. Give me your assessment of Dylan Gabriel. I feel like he's exactly what they need. They're not putting it all on his shoulders. Just don't screw this up. Uh, Be rock solid. And that's what he's been. Dynamic, dynamic playmaker, um, very similar to uh, a Baker Mayfield. You know, he's he's just lethal in what he does, and I think a lot of it is is what's you know between the ears with him. He has a really good understanding of this offense because remember Jeff Levy, though he came to Oklahoma from Ole Miss this past season. Before Ole Miss, he was at Central Florida, um, where Dylan Gabriel was. So these two know each other. 
It's a great connection. Uh, he understands this offense really well. And, and as a Memphis fan, I've, I've had to watch him through the years <laughs> in the AAC, um, just pick apart the Tigers. He's, he's one of those guys that, um, you know, doesn't make many mistakes. And he's also a guy that, you know, with him, with the ball in his hands, um, you know, if, if K-State has a lead and, and the time is winding down, he's one of those guys that, you know, just a little bit of time left on the clock could be enough time for a guy like Dylan Gabriel. Cause again, um, he's masterful in the way he can orchestrate this offense. Yeah, he really has been good. He's completing exactly two-thirds of his passes, and that is being aggressive with downfield throwing, too. And two of the big targets for him so far this season have both been listed on the slot receiver position. Marvin Mims, who's just electric, he does their a lot of their returns, and Drake Stoops, who's Maybe the different kind of player in the slot, but he's their Curry Sexton. You want to say that he's their guy that when they need a ball to be caught and they need a route to be run precisely, he's their guy. They're they're just really good at receiver. And that that's going to be really a a wide, uh, a big challenge for the defensive backfield for Kansas State. They've got a lot of things spread across the field that are really going to test them. Yeah, and you didn't even mention Theo Weiss, the former five-star recruit. Um, you know, he's like the highest-ranked player on their roster from a recruiting standpoint. And yeah, he's kind of their bigger target on the outside yeah. that they can go deep with. Um, Fitz, I'm I'm going to be long-winded in this, but bear yeah. with me here. And this is why I'm a little nervous for K-State's defense on Saturday. Um, I think the offense, you know, will could struggle. You know, again, depending on Adrian Martinez, but I think there's an opportunity for them to get some yards here and maybe have a little bit of a bounce back. Um, but the defense as good as K state's defense has been, they've not seen a, an offense yet. That's been this kind of up-tempo style and so numbers oriented and ratio oriented. It, this is a chess type offense. Um, I was listening to Joel Klatt during this week leading up. And I thought if you can go back and listen to it. I thought he did a great, kind of assessment of what it is that Jeff Levy wants to do in this offense. So Jeff Levy is an Art Bryles like disciple. He was there from 2008 to 2016. Um, mind you, K-State went two and five against the Bears. And one of those was when Jim Grobe was the coach. So um, they've had, he's had success against K-State. It is a very difficult offense for a defense to really assess because it's, it's a more zone scheme up front. They want to be physical at the offensive line. Uh, let the running backs kind of do their thing. They can be creative in, in what lanes they want to go through. And obviously it's QB reliant. So it's heavy on these pre-snap reads um, and, and letting Dylan Gabriel kind of assess things and figure out where they have the most hats in relation to K-State's defense. So you're going to see wide receivers that are going to be split way out wide, like almost to the sidelines. And it's going to create this space in the middle of the field for Oklahoma to hopefully exploit against K-State's defense. So what that forces a secondary to do fits is you can either have help over the top because you don't want to get beat and you allow your safeties to kind of play more out wide to help those corners that are so far, you know, away from the typical splits that you would see on the hashes or, and then if, if K-State chooses to do that, Dylan Gabriel is going to do a lot of, you know, they're going to run right up these zone reads. They're going to do a lot of RPOs pick apart because they know they have less guys to deal with in the box. Now, then if K-State decides, okay, we need to roll some of these safeties up 
we need more help in the box. Now, Dylan Gabriel's going to read that pre-snap and go, I see you've only got one safety back or two instead of two or three. Now we're just going to go one-on-one and pick you apart um, and hope that, you know, you're basically relying on your cornerbacks to cover our wide receivers in space because now we know that you don't have enough safeties back there to cover over the top. And so that's the battle that I think this K-State defense is going to see. And again, I just think it stresses fits every single element of a defense. You've got a defensive line that's got to be mindful to the run because unlike a Lincoln Riley spread or a Mike Leach spread, this offense wants to run the ball. They start with running the ball. You remember Art Bryles. And so you've got a defensive line that's got to be mindful of it. You've got defensive ends. Oh, by the way, one of which, you know, has, has, it's kind of a game time decision. I think in Nate Matlack, they've got to read keys on these RPOs and you know, these reads is Dylan Gabriel going to pitch it. They've got to be locked in. Your linebackers are heavy stress because they're trying to help run, run support. They're also trying to cover an enormous amount of ground on these, you know, wide receiver routes, trying to help the corners. You've got safeties that are trying to pick up different reads and should I come up and run support? It's a nightmare. And in saying that fits, you can see where you're going to have a lot of substitutions because you're going to have guys getting gassed. And so you're looking at Kansas State's too deep and you're seeing guys like Jake Clifton on there, freshman. You know, you're looking at Omar Daniels that hasn't seen, uh, you know, uh, offenses like this. Jacob Parrish hasn't seen offenses like this. Kobe Savage that hasn't seen an offense like this. It's a lot of mental and physical strain on a defense to be able to do all these things. If Kansas state can hang in there, whether they win or lose, I think this is going to be something that they can really take forward as a building block through the season. Cause this is an enormous test for this defense and fits. Like I said, I'm, I'm heavily concerned that a, a lot of guys just haven't seen this offense yet this season, if not in their career and B you're looking at a lot of guys that are, you know, kind of just getting their feet wet in the college game. Oh, by the way, here's an Art Browse offense for you to try and figure out. Yeah. It's it's enormously tough. We didn't mention running backs Eric Gray and Marcus Major. Uh, like you said, it's a run-first offense for all the fear you have of the passing game. And Dylan Gabriel also comes into the the running game, too, as a quarterback. Wally, I think we're going to see some changes on defense. I think they've come to the conclusion now that Sean Robinson is is no longer with the team, that what they're doing at that third linebacker spot isn't flexible enough with Khalid Duke. With the Matlack injury, Coach alluded to it that they felt like they had a surplus at that defensive end position. Now they've had some attrition there. Maybe they move Khalid Duke back with his hand on the ground. Maybe they move Josh Hayes up into that position that we saw Reggie Stubblefield play last year. They put him at it a little bit on Saturday. He was effective in it. He's such a smart player. He's a great addition to this defense. But here's something I never thought I would say about this defense coming into the season. They actually have a surplus of safeties that can play. So I can see them rolling Josh Hayes up and maybe putting the freshman Payne out there or, or TJ Smith gets more snaps. They, they've just got a lot of options back there, but... Uh, I'm sorry, Khalid Duke, he's he's just not able to play in space. He's not built that way. And this is why I think this is a, a week that if you are going to experiment with some things at that Sam linebacker spot, I think this is a week where you've got to look at Khalid Duke and just say your strengths are not you know where we 
where we need for this opponent. And so, yeah, whether I think it's, you know, rotating Josh Hayes up, though I, I hate to do that just because he's so good in pass protection. Um, uh, you could rotate him up. You could rotate Sincere Mason in. That's a guy I think that fits the, what they want to do at Sam really well, especially against an offense like this that's going to spread you out. Lord knows Sincere Mason can cover well, you know, as a as a six-foot, 200-plus safety. I think TJ Smith will be relied upon heavily as a guy that, you know, has seen offenses maybe similar to this, um, you know, his, his mindset, I think will help with, with this game plan. So yeah, if there's a plus here, it's that you've got a, a great surplus of safeties um, guys that can help and pass, help and run what you're going to need. If there's a downside, I think it's, it's being so incredibly thin at linebacker and, you know, having guys uh, have to step in possibly to Nate Matlack's shoes um, that again, have a big burden to really hold the edge and, and contain maybe that's Khalid Duke, or maybe it's a guy like Brendan Mott, who I think has outperformed where we set the expectations for him. Uh, they're going to need guys like him to perform extremely well on Saturday night. He is Ryan Wallace. He covers the cats in recruiting and on the field for us. We appreciate it very much, Wally. Um, I don't have a good feeling about this game, but I'm not sure I have had a good feeling about a game against Oklahoma since 2003, uh, and I've been often wrong. So that's a plus, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, again, if you're glass up half full kind of person, again, you know, I think Kansas State probably owns as many, if not the most wins against the Sooners in the modern era of the Big 12 as any in the in the conference. So, uh, yeah, you can kind of hang your hat on that, but we will see. I'm with you. It's, uh, I don't have a great feeling, but I haven't had great feelings against the Sooners before, and Chris Kleiman has proved me wrong. On the other side of the break, we're going to catch up to Cooper Beebe, the offensive lineman, the star along that front for Kansas State, and, of course, bring in our football analyst, Brian Hanley, as we continue with your Powercat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. This is Kansas State's Felix and Yudike Uzama. We'll be right back with more of the PowerCat pregame podcast. This is Kansas State's Cooper Beebe, and welcome back to the PowerCat pregame podcast on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. What's the result of this team this week? Um, you know, we're obviously frustrated with um, the loss last weekend, but, you know, we understand that we got a lot to improve, and, you know, the dude's spirits are high. You know, we got a big challenge this week, and, you know, the dudes are attacking the week. How much room for improvement is there along the offensive line? Um, I still think there's a lot. You know, there's just some small things that we got to clean up um, that we've looked at the last game, but I think there's still a ways to go. How much comfort are you feeling at left guard? Um, you know, I've you know settled in. I still am kind of getting you know back into it, but I, I feel pretty comfortable now. It wasn't a ton of rotation on Saturday with you guys up front. Do you feel like did you ever get a little tired up there with only playing five guys? Um, yeah, at, at times um, that's something that you know Coach Riley addressed. That you know he's going to try to get more dudes involved um, in the game. Um, obviously, it was it was hot, but you know you can't use that as an excuse. Um, we just got we just got to be better. When you think about K State and Oklahoma series, what comes to mind? I would just say you know hard hard nosed physical battle. Um, all the games that I've experienced with Oklahoma, it's always been a hard hard fought game. Um, it's always been a grind, you know, and um, 
you know, I'm just looking forward to it. It's always uh, fun. I'm um, interested to see, you know, last time we went to Norman, it was COVID, so I'm interested to see what it looks like with the full stadium. What have you seen from Oklahoma's defense so far? Uh, they're fast. I mean, just like every year, you know, they, they have dudes that fly around. Um, they play physical. You know, it's just a typical uh, Oklahoma-style defense. And what did Tulane do up front that gave you guys some issues? Um, you know, they just, you know, they just executed a lot. You know, it was just simple, small execution on our part. You know, they schemed us up pretty well. But, you know, up front, it was just, you know, missed block here, missed block there that, you know, that really killed us, especially in those crucial third and fourth downs. Does that kind of throw the gauntlet down for you guys to execute better this week? Oh, of course, yeah. You know, we, we, we understand that we got a lot to improve. Um, and, you know, we're getting those things ironed out. And, you know, we're excited, you know, attacking this week. We already got, had a good Monday, and we're looking forward to a good Tuesday. And welcome back to the Powercat pregame podcast. That was Kansas State offensive lineman Cooper Beebe talking about the Wildcats and this weekend's matchup with the Oklahoma Sooners down in Norman. And remember, we're sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. At Robbins Motor Company, they strive to earn lifetime business and build relationships selling quality cars, trucks, vans, SUVs, and offering top-notch parts and service. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the Powercat pregame podcast. And now it's time to bring in our football analyst, the former Kansas State offensive lineman, Brian Hanley. And again, for the second week in a row, you have familiarity with the head coach of the opponent. Your two seasons in Manhattan were 97 and 98. Brent Venable's last two seasons on the coaching staff at Kansas State were 97 and 98 before he went to Oklahoma and then Clemson and now back to Oklahoma as the head coach. You have a lot of respect for Brent Venables as a football coach, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. The guy is an extremely hard worker, extremely detailed. Uh, He's a motivator. He's a good man from what I knew and still know of him. Um, But he's a great football coach. He is just a great football coach. Oklahoma is going to be prepared. Yeah, they will be. And it stings a little bit to know that. He calls this his dream job, and I understand why. He spent plenty of time down there in Norman with Bob Stoops and then eventually moved on to Clemson where he really proved his worth. You remember when he left Norman, he was under fire a little bit for his defenses. He goes to Clemson and helps them become a national power, plays a big role in Dabo Sweeney's program surge to the top of the national rankings, and now he's back in Norman. And I'm intrigued because he's a defensive guy, but right now it seems like all eyes are on this Oklahoma offense, and we'll get to both sides of the ball, but what Jeff Lebby, their their new offensive coordinators doing with this offense is fascinating. As Ryan Wallace pointed out, it's closer to the Art Bryles form of spread. He ran it Baylor. Um, it's a very troublesome offense for opposing defenses. They they literally spread you from sideline to sideline and try to cut you up. But this offense has been explosive. But I want to throw out a stat there, uh, Brian, that we didn't get to with Ryan Wallace. And it's uh, probably the most troubling stat I can come up with heading into this game. While we all know K-State has struggled for a few years now in the third quarter, that's not the case for this Oklahoma team that has outscored their opponents a mere 52 to nothing in the third quarter. So they will come after you at after halftime, but I expect this Oklahoma offense to come at K-State both barrels blazing. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just what you said. They spread you out. And they just come at you. They come fast. Um, They're going to do a lot of things. You know, they have a lot of athletes. Um, It's going to be a challenge. It's just going to be a challenge. Now, is it one that our defense is up to? I believe so. But it's going to be a group effort. And we can get into that a little bit later. But it's definitely going to be a group effort. But their their defense is – or their offense is good. 
they're good. They, they've got a good offensive team, and they're going to put a lot of pressure on us. We're going to have to be ready. Yeah, it it always starts with the quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, the UCF transfer, can run, he can throw, he can slice you up, he can read the defense. He's perfect for this offense, and it was a great addition. Um, and I'm going to be very interested to see how K-State's cornerbacks hold up in coverage because you got to bring enough assets forward to stop the run, but they'll also get you deep. It's really a tough challenge this week for Joe Klanderman in this defense, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's just like you said. I mean, that was the whole Art Browse offense, what they used to just, they would run it, and then they literally would, when you think they're going to run it, they would back up and just throw it over your head. Um, Oklahoma State did that from time to time when they had Mason Rudolph. I mean, so it's just a tough offense to stop. But just like any offense, everything stops with stopping the run. If you stop the run and you can do it without having to, you know, commit all your safeties to doing it and committing so many guys to the line of scrimmage, then you're going to be okay. But if you have to commit so many guys to stop the run, you're leaving your guys on an island, and that's when it can be troublesome. They really do run the ball by committee. I mean, it's it's led by Eric Gray um, at running back, but Marcus Major and Javante Barnes add in, uh, totaling about 170 yards between them in the course of a game. Uh, so they will hammer you with the run and then sneak the ball over the top. Uh, but if you're Kansas State, the bigger issue here is that Brent Venables defense and what he's doing. They switched their looks on Nebraska. They've showed a four-man front, then they went to a three-man front in Lincoln. Uh, I don't know why they needed to do that against Nebraska, but it, it really did baffle Nebraska. So now K-State's got to sort out what will they see from this defense. Brent Venables has always been somewhat aggressive with his defense, and they are coming after opposing offenses. K-State's line didn't perform well. I didn't think the tight ends and fullbacks blocked well against Tulane. They just never got anything going on offense. We've chronicled the yips that quarterback Adrian Martinez seems to have. Tulane bottled up Deuce Vaughn. This just seems like an uphill battle going into this game. Am I wrong? No, you're you're not wrong at all. I mean, it's going to be an uphill battle. We've got to play better. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. I know I'm simplifying everything with it with saying that, but it's the truth. We have to play better. We have to be more physical at the point of attack on both sides of the football. I mean, I think we've done a good job of that on the defensive side. But we're going to have to do that, you know, this week. It's just a must. But on offense, we're going to have to attack them and play free, you know. And the offensive line is going to have to get back to to bullying people because if we don't, it's like you said, they're going to bring pressure. They're going to get after us, and it can get out of control. And we don't need that. We want this game to be a fourth-quarter game because, personally, I believe if we get it to the fourth quarter and the game is close – I think we can win it because we've done it before and guys understand how to win and, and, you know, in Norman, they understand to win. We were a veteran team. We can do these things, but if we let it get away and we're not physical and we, you know, we, we take the punches versus delivering the punches, it's going to be a long afternoon. Yeah, it really will be. It's just got to, got to hang around. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They can't, yeah. they can't get blown out early in this game. They're, they're not built to come back. At least right now they're not with Adrian Martinez. And I don't want to keep talking about a, and 
you know, making people think I'm saying he's the entire problem. But when you got a quarterback that is being gun shy, whether it's throwing or when to run, he's just you can see the hesitation on an option pitch that he should have made and and didn't make and ended up getting tackled for a loss on a fourth down. He's into his own head. I I just think he's he's worried about mistakes and injuries and instead of just playing football and having fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got if you're not going to play free and do the things that, you know, got you to this point, then what's the point of of any of it? If you're not going to do those things, they need somebody that's going to go out there and I say they, the team, we need somebody to go out there that's going to play aggressive, going to play to your strengths, going to go out there and cut it loose and have some fun. If you're not going to do those things, you're hurting everybody. And that just doesn't go for the quarterback. That goes for everybody. If you're not going to go out there and do the things that got you to this point, then you can't be out there because you're just hurting everybody. So, you know, as much as you want to say, and it isn't just, you know, Adrian Martinez, it's not just him. It's collectively from the play calling to everything on down, we have to be better. We just have to be better. And, and if we just throw the ball down the field, I know I've said this thing for two years, just throw the ball down the field. If we're not going to do that, then we're going to suffer. We, you can't run the ball against good football teams if you're not going to throw the ball down the field. And if we're not going to do that, then we, we literally can't win this game. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt in my mind. And uh, we're not asking him to throw into triple coverage and try to be a superhero. But, no, boy, when you watch that game last Saturday, there's guys running free through the secondary, and he just can't cut it loose. And it, it's so frustrating to watch. It's got to be frustrating for him. Uh, yeah, but he's not the only problem on this offense. I thought the line was played as poorly as I've seen a K-State line play since this coaching staff arrived. Uh, I mean, I, I think the world of Connor Riley is an offensive line coach, but that line did not perform well. They didn't move smaller guys from Tulane off their spots very well. And I feel like if you've got one bad link in your offensive line, you got a bad offensive line, and K-State might be battling that right now. Yeah, I mean, it, they just got pushed around. They got pushed around. They got they were Tulane was more athletic, which you're going to go against teams. All defensive lines are going to be more athletic than your offensive line. Having said that, it's you have to be more physical, and we weren't more physical. So if you're going to get out athletic and you're not going to be physical, it's going to be a long day for any offensive line. So we have to be better at that. We just have to be more physical at the point of attack, push guys around. But the play calling also helps that fits. Right. It can't just be willy-nilly vanilla. We're just going to do this and we're going to line up. Because if you just really look at it, K-State runs about four running plays. I mean, we don't run. I mean, so far. I know we have more in the arsenal. But we have about four running plays that we've done. It's time to open up the playbook and create more opportunities. Because if you're not going to create those opportunities, you're not going to move the ball against good football teams. You just won't. No, no. And they aren't right now on a consistent basis. And it's very frustrating to watch. But I appreciated what Chris Kleiman said at Tuesday's press conference. Because it's easy to circle the offense as the root of issues right now because it was obviously the problem on Saturday with the way they couldn't move the ball consistently but stunk on third and fourth down, just didn't execute, didn't bully anyone around on those plays, and they have to get back to doing that. But Chris Kleiman said, we're a team that has to play complementary football 
football. And while the defense was good against Tulane, we needed great on a day when the offense wasn't getting it done. And while special teams was kind of a wash, our special teams captains see that as a loss because they didn't win special teams, which K-State needs to do on a regular basis. And, of course, offense just didn't perform up to anyone's standards. But I, I know this. If this perpetuates these offensive issues, that can creep into a locker room and really decimate any hope you had for a good program because once your locker room turns on each other, you're done. Yeah, and it will. And, you know, if, if those things continue to happen, people will start pointing the fingers. Look, we have a great locker room. We, we just do. A lot of places cannot say that. But they're also kids. They're also human beings. You have to be able to pull your weight because it's not just that you watch the film and you see it. They'll start hearing it from everybody under the sun. And the problem with that, though, Fitz, is they're not going to be lying if one side is not pulling their weight. It's not like people are just making things up. So as we don't want to see that happen, and we don't, but it will happen if we can't collectively come together. Now, if you're just getting blown off the ball from on both sides, you don't really have to worry about that kind of stuff. But when it's one side, I mean, I've been part of locker rooms like that where one side couldn't pull their weight and it was dragging the team down. However, saying all of that, I don't believe that it's going to be a multiple week problem. I believe that we will turn this around. I just think we got too vanilla and it ended up biting us in the butt, which to me is it's you can't have that. I mean, it's unimaginable that somebody would go so vanilla and get beat in a football game because that's what you choose to do. I've seen it happen. Don't get me wrong, but it's unimaginable that you would just do that. So I believe that we're going to open things up. We've just been holding back this time. We didn't have to show as much as what we can do because if they're saying they're doing these things in practice, well, that's great because we literally haven't seen that stuff on the field on game days. So now it's time to see it on the field on game days and make truth tellers out of yourselves and don't be lying to us. How long does coach Brian Hanley go with Adrian Martinez at quarterback before you start looking at a change? And there's two things that Chris Kleiman and Colin Klein, the offensive coordinator can do. They can, um, if they pull Adrian, they can put in Will Howard, who they would like to redshirt, but is clearly the number two quarterback on this team. And I've had some people kind of pull back from that. Like, well, I've seen Will Howard. I don't want him. I got news for you. The Will Howard we've seen in the past would be better than the Adrian Martinez we're seeing right now. He's oh, yeah. at least going to run the ball with authority. He is going to put the ball downfield. It may not be with a big gun and it might put the ball in peril, but he will do the things you're asking. And they keep swearing he's improved, so maybe he has. Maybe he's let the game slow down for himself a little bit now. Or do you go with the young quarterback like Jake Rubley? Everyone's anxious to see him. They had a small glimpse of him early in the year. He looked good, but is he ready to roll out and play a significant opponent like Oklahoma? I'm not sure where they'll go, but how long of a rope would you let Adrian Martinez have in this game? You can't. I mean, again, you're trying to win football games. And if you're if you're going to put out and put plays, kind of what I was talking about before, if the playbook opens up and he's not capable of doing it, then you've got to make a change pretty quickly, I think, because it's not a matter of, hey, we haven't been calling the plays, so he's not doing the things that we want him to do. Now it's, hey, we're calling him. 
He's just not doing it, and it's not either either not capable or not doing it. Whatever the case may be, he's not getting it done. We got to go somewhere else. And to me, it should happen pretty quickly because he has not played well this season. So whatever you're asking him to do, whatever that is, he hasn't done it well. So now if you're going to open the playbook even more, and call things, and he's still not playing well, well, then he's not capable of running your offense. And it doesn't take you two or three games to figure that out. You've already seen what you needed to see, and if you if he can't do it, it's time to put somebody in. So for me, I mean, I, you got to give him a half, I think. Um, but if it's not working out and, and it's a catastrophe, then just make the change and, and move on. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100%. And we asked Chris Kleiman a number of questions about this as we bring Brian Hanley to an end. Brian, I appreciate it very much. We will reconvene at some point after this game, probably on Sunday morning, to record the post-game podcast. Of course, the Cats and Sooners kick off at 7 p.m., and it'll be a long night for the Go Paracat staff. But we will assess what happened in Norman with the post-game podcast. So I appreciate you joining me for that. No problem. Thank you. Now let's hear from Chris Kleiman. I asked him right at the top of the press conference on Tuesday about Adrian Martinez, and let's follow that up with some of his answers to other reporters' questions about the player they call 9 a.m. At Nebraska, Adrian was known as a playmaker. He made a lot of Mm -hmm. big plays. And with that came mistakes and turnovers. We all know that. Has he swung back too far, being too careful at this point? Yeah, I I would say without question, Fitz and and, – uh, CK and I had a long meeting and, and visited with uh, Adrian about it, and he would agree that um, he's got to cut it loose and rip it. And uh, um, if a mistake's made, a mistake's made. But uh, be aggressive in in in, uh, in what you see and what you believe. And uh, we've seen that in fall camp, and now we've just got to see it on a Saturday. And uh, I know it's there. I know uh, that uh, he can do it. He doesn't want to make the mistake. I think we all know that. I think nobody wants to make the mistakes. Um, but there's times where you just got to let it rip. And if, if something happens that's a, a negative play, we got to bounce back from it and, and get a stop on defense. Or, shoot, we're going to make some positive plays too. Does this alter your approach to how you're handling the quarterbacks? And, and if he goes through the first not, half and does the same thing? Yeah, not, not, not right now. Um, you know, that's a better question probably for Colin right now. But um, we, we still feel comfortable about that room. You know, we have talented players in that room. You know, uh, between Will and uh, a young player in Jake Rubley, we feel confident in that room. And so, um, you know, we'll continue to distribute those reps. How has Adrian kind of bounced back since Saturday? Um, well, I had my normal meeting with he and the QBs yesterday talking um, some of the things Oklahoma does defensively and, and them picking my brain and me picking their brain about uh, looks and stuff. Uh, collectively, as an offense, we had a really good practice yesterday. Um, if there was one downfall from last week on Thursday, I think it was Thursday, might have been Wednesday, too many balls were on the ground in some of our past game stuff. Um, and that wasn't necessarily the QB's fault all the time. Sometimes it was a drop. Sometimes it was a, it was a miss, uh, misrun route. But uh, yesterday was really sharp offensively. Um, not many balls on the ground. And, and um, uh, it, was, it was a good day. So um, bouncing back, I don't think would be an issue for Adrian, honestly. I really don't because he's a, he's a really confident, mature kid. 
Will Howard's in an interesting spot where, you know, Jake is the yep. backup in certain situations just because of the redshirt situation. Yep. But how does he prepare week to week? Is he still going into each game thinking he's the emergency starter? Yes, I think I think he is. Last week was an interesting, interesting week for Will because he missed some time for personal reasons, but he's back, and he was back late in the week last week, and I don't want to get into that, but everything's okay. Um, and so uh, we're going to give him uh, – more reps than we did last week just simply because he missed a couple of practices last week. Um, but um, we, we've got uh, great confidence in, in Will. I think the team does as well. And um, and, and Jake's continuing to improve. Um, and so, like I said, we'll, we'll keep – Adrian's going to be be the one, um, unquestioned one right now. But we'll always continue to distribute those reps between those other two guys as, as they improve because we also know – that I've, I know for sure because in, in my last couple of years here, we've always gone to the number two because of an injury. That was Kansas State football coach Chris Kleiman talking about Adrian Martinez and the challenges that confront his team as they take on the Sooners Saturday night in Norman. And now we bring in Ryan Gilbert to discuss sports betting, which got the better of me last weekend because I took his advice and I went to the dark side to gamble on sports like I've always sworn I wouldn't do, but I still trust you. I trust you. It got the better of me, too. Yeah. It, it makes you feel better. No, it got much better of you than me. But anyhow, yes. let's get started here. And we have a game right out of the gate. We put this podcast up on Thursday. Thank goodness, because West Virginia is playing an early week game again. The one and two Mountaineers are going to Virginia Tech. They're going to play the two and one Hokies on ESPN Thursday night. <sighs> West Virginia's favored by a point and a half. What? They lost to Kansas. How bad's Virginia Tech? <laughs> well, you know, this is West Virginia's third power five opponent right? of the season. So I think there's a lot that's that's out there for for people to look at. Now, you can take that for obviously what you think it's worth. West Virginia has come up short against Pitt and Kansas. And so if you think that history is going to repeat itself, then go ahead and bet on Virginia Tech. One and a half points really isn't a lot. So this is pretty much just a, a coin flip. On the other hand, though, you know, you could look at it and say, hey, West Virginia has been there. They played, um, you know, up to, you know, they played some good competition, right? So, you know, you can, you can take that either way that you want. I don't really see this one one way or another. But like you mentioned, Fitz, I mean, West Virginia, they have not looked good. They lost to Kansas, right? So just by that right there, I, I would like Virginia Tech, but I just don't think that I have enough confidence either way. Well, maybe, maybe we've got it wrong and Kansas is really good. I mean, they might be. We still don't know, but they have won two games on the road now, and they go home to play their final non-conference game because they did have that conference game earlier. 3-0 and Kansas against 3-0 and Duke. A great basketball matchup. Probably not a bad, like, SAT score matchup either. I think I'd take Duke in that one. They play at 11 a.m. on FS1. Kansas is favored as of right now by a touchdown. The first time KU football has been favored in a game against a Power 5 opponent since 2009. Unbelievable. Crazy. Can KU make it 4-0? Mm, this one is its weird, isn't it? Just to yeah. say that KU's favored against a team that you've actually heard of. Uh, you know, Duke is 
pretty much bottom of the barrel in power five college football, along with, you know, Kansas Rutgers schools like that. So Vanderbilt, you got to remember though, that Duke, you know, they're still a power five school. They're four and one um, in their last five games against the spread against big 12 opponents. Right. So just because the name on the front of their Jersey is Duke doesn't mean they're an awful team. I, I still don't think I can fully confidently bet money, real tangible money. We're not talking free play money here, Fitz. Real money on Kansas. They're 6-0 in their last six games, though, against the spread. So clearly Vegas has not really uh, reacted or responded appropriately to KU football not being awful. So I, I guess you could say there is value that the line, you know, Vegas betters still haven't caught up to KU uh, and Lance Leipold turning the corner, but you know, a touchdown is still a decent amount of points and you know, Duke could probably hang around in this game. So I, I do want to bet Duke here. I just don't feel like you can bet your money on Kansas. Okay. You know, it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me to, to bet on Kansas. Well, I did it last week and it was one of the bets I won. One well, you're more successful than me, okay? Okay. Uh, I can't do it again, but I think Kansas will win this game. I don't know about covering the seven, but I think they'll win and be 4-0 and get even more obnoxious than they already are. Um, TCU and SMU collide in the final non-conference game of the week. This one is at SMU. TCU is a two-point favorite. And, of course, Sonny Dykes has switched sidelines in this series. He was at SMU last year when they beat the Frogs, and they liked it so much they – they hired him as coach of the frogs. I like TCU in this, but this is a coin flip for me too. Yeah. I don't think you can really look at the, you know, the past success that SMU has had um, against TCU because <laughs> the coach is gone uh, in Fort Worth coaching the Horn Frogs. Right. So I don't know if that's much of a storyline um, when looking at this game, but the numbers here, the analytics, the predictors, all that stuff like SMU in this game, actually. And I think maybe the the only reason that TCU might be favored is just the name on the front of the jersey because it's a power five opponent going against a, a group of five schools. So I would actually uh, lean at SMU here and disagree with you, Fitz. I think SMU probably doesn't have enough. Uh, they're not getting enough respect in this game. Okay, let's get into the actual Big 12 games, not just games involving Big 12 schools. We'll start off with the 11 a.m. game on ESPN2 on Saturday. Baylor goes to Iowa State. Of course, the Bears have a loss to the BYU Cougars in a non-conference game. Iowa State at 3-0 and after finally finding a way to beat Iowa. And this number's flipped around. I think Baylor was favored a little bit by a point or so at the start of the week, and I see Iowa State is now a two-and-a-half-point favorite. What say you? Well, I think it's fair to say that both teams are not as good as, as they were last year, right? That's pretty mm-hmm. a pretty agreed-upon statement right there with Iowa State. But I think maybe some people don't realize that Baylor did lose a good chunk of its roster from last season. So both teams aren't as good. Um, Ames is a tough place to play. Iowa State's won each of its last six home games, you know, playing up on that grass field, right, can give – um, other teams some struggles and I actually like the public here I think that the betters know what they're doing I usually like to fade the public but you know Iowa State's now the favorite and you know just because a team is ranked doesn't mean they're better right just because Baylor's ranked doesn't mean they're better than Iowa State so I actually like Iowa State here you lost out on some value um, if you would have bet them earlier in the week but but Iowa State I think is is really smart to bet here Baylor um, 
you know, that, that was a good game against BYU, right? But but wasn't BYU without a couple of their top? Yep. Was it wideouts, right? Yeah, so receivership. I, I think Iowa State here would, would probably be the, the better bet. Yep, I might agree with you because we saw BYU then go to Oregon and just get trounced. So uh-huh. that makes me a little curious about the Bears. Texas. And I don't usually like to look at, you know, this team yeah. did that and then that team did this, but you know, that does make a lot of sense for sure. Yep. Texas goes to Lubbock to take on the Red Raiders. Texas Tech at home, 230 ESPN. Of course, it's Texas. They got to put them on there. Texas is a six and a half point favorite. Does Texas win by a touchdown or more in Lubbock? I mean, they have to, right? It's I Texas. Just, this, this one doesn't make much sense. I know Texas is overrated as always, but Texas Tech's not good, are they? I don't I think mean, so. You got it. Uh, Texas, a touchdown to beat Texas Tech. I don't care that they're on the road. Uh, I, I like Texas. I think they're a much better team than Texas Tech. And this is just one of those games where you're, you're thinking to yourself, does Vegas know something that I don't? But I, I like Texas. Yeah, it's an interesting chain of events. I won't be surprised if Tech wins, but I would bet Texas if I was forced to. Don't force me to do it. And finally, Kansas State at Oklahoma, 7 p.m. game on Fox. Oklahoma, as we record this, is a 13-point favorite. You've got my pick for our weekly bet on it segment. I don't get this line. I don't understand this line. But this line really hasn't moved. I think Oklahoma beats K-State by 14 or more. I don't see this version of K-State keeping this game that close. If K-State plays any sort of football that's similar to the way they played the last, the last three games this season, right? The first three games, I should say, it's not going to be close. It's not going to be competitive. K-State's not going to cover the spread, right? I think we can all agree on that. If Martinez does flip the switch and at least mentally try to turn things around with, you know, airing out the football, I think K-State's got a chance to cover if all those things go right. But Fitz, there is no guarantee at all that, that Martinez, if he does decide to really throw the football downfield, there is no guarantee that he doesn't throw three interceptions and lose a fumble. And, you know, there's no guarantee that the thing just doesn't go south on K-State, right? And then you got to look at the play calling. Do you trust Colin Klein to, to let's be honest here, Fitz, uh, be a better play caller and, and not just be so conservative? You know, this is Big 12 football. I get it. You're playing two lane. That might have caught you off guard a little bit. Uh, but K-State's going to have to pull out some stops here if they want a chance to cover. Uh, I do not like K-State at all. The only way they can you know, even think about a win is if Martinez plays the way he did his freshman year at Nebraska. And I think it's just like one week, seven days later after a just awful performance against Tulane. And it, and it wasn't just Martinez. It wasn't just Klein. You know, the offensive line was subpar, right? I think the defense was okay. Uh you know, they had the interception to set up K-State late in the first half, but they didn't make any, you know, big plays that really won them the game or gave them a position, put them in a position to win the game. So K-State's got some flaws, and I would be shocked if all of them or most of them were fixed within a week. I think Oklahoma is going to just blow K-State out of this game at least three touchdowns. Um, I, I do hate to say this, but I think Oklahoma has an easy victory over Kansas State. Man, that was depressing. It, it was probably accurate, but boy, you didn't hold back. You're kind of mean. journalists are supposed to say what they uh, truly believe, right? Right. And I hope you have a big <laughs> week. I just hope you're wrong on this one. And 
and honestly, hope I'm wrong on this one, too. You know what? If K-State wins, I, oh, I guess I'll be happy. Thank you, Ryan Gilbert. I appreciate it so very much. It's Kansas State and Oklahoma Saturday night at Memorial Stadium in Norman, Oklahoma. 7 p.m. kick. You can watch it on Fox Network TV this week for the Cats. And as I've done all season and I will continue throughout the year, let me give you one thing to watch in this game. And for the Wildcats, it certainly has to be big plays on offense. In fact, Let's expand that to big plays for both offenses. Can Kansas State's defense bottle up Dylan Gabriel and the Oklahoma offense that has made so many big plays so far in 2022 and limit those plays? Contain the big play nature of this spread offense for the Sooners. But on the other side, Kansas State has been starved for explosive plays. They've done some damage on the ground. They've had a few nice passes, but you can't say that the Wildcats have done anything explosive offensively all year long, and they are are demanding it, and they need it from quarterback Adrian Martinez to loosen up the defense. By far the best defense K-State has seen this year is going to be quite the test for Adrian Martinez, Deuce Vaughn, and all of those receivers to make it happen, and it starts up front, and that's why we talked to Cooper Beebe this week on our interview segment. And remember, we're sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. The dedicated team of automotive professionals at Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat will match you with a vehicle that suits your lifestyle and budget. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the Powercat pregame podcast. Cats and Sooners, Saturday night. You can watch it on Fox if you're not going down to Norman for the game. And I go into this game with one thought. K-State had its season redefined last week against Tulane. The Cats can do it again with a win in Norman. Can the Kansas State Wildcats hand the Oklahoma Sooners another L? We shall see. I'll see you in Norman, or I'll see you next week at The Bill. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. Thank you.